This Fremen religious adaptation then is the source of what we now recognize as the pillars of the universe, whose Quizara Tafuid are among us with the signs and proofs and prophecy. They bring us the Arakeen mystical fusion whose profound beauty is typified by the stirring music built on the old forms, but stamped with the new awakening. Who has not heard and been deeply moved by the old man's hymn? I drove my feet through a desert, whose mirage fluttered like a host, ferocious for glory, greedy for danger. I roamed the horizons of Al-Kulab, watching time-level mountains, in its search and its hunger for me. And I saw the sparrows swiftly approach, bolder than an on-rushing wolf. They spread in the tree of my youth. I heard the flock in my branches, and was caught in their beaks and claws. From Arrakis Awakening with the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Balls. And I'm Evan Diaz. <laughs> Together, we're going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. I just wanted to do the intro. I think you did a great job. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you should definitely uh, tweet at us uh, at Reading Dune if you think Evan should always do the intro. I think you nailed it. I'll try to do it without giggling next time. (laughs) You you were so excited. (laughs) You were so excited. It's exciting. All right. So, yes, we are. Da-da-da-da. We're going to read some Dune today. Yeah. And we're in the same place, physically in the same place. For those that can see, I'm messing with Caleb's face again. Yeah, and if you want to see us, you can see us on YouTube at Reading Dune. Yes. Subscribe. It would be nice. We're kind of building a little fun community here. Yeah, we are. Especially on Twitter as well. So, yeah, we have a lot going on this chapter. So we're just going to dive in real fast. Let's do it. First, I want to hit with the uh, the quote. Evan, you got your book out yet? Oh, dude, where's my book? Evan gets up, runs to his book. Runs back and his arms kind of waving back and forth. It's really awkward. <laughs> but he opens it up. Story of my life. Um, what did you think of this quote? I thought there was a lot in there. I have no idea what it is. Mm. The words are English words. <laughs> Some of them, yes. They come together in a semi-conventional sense. Like a sentence? Right. Yeah. And they are... Phrases. I have no idea. I have no idea what's happening. I, no, but what you're feeling is, um, I think, pretty standard the first time you read this. <laughs> okay, cool. It's like, what? Especially most of these quotes are like, what is happening? Right. Um, so we're just kind of going to break it down, right? This is Princess Irulan is talking about this moment that Arrakis becomes spiritually awake. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and it's actually the moment we're in right now. Oh. So what's happening in Dune, what we're reading, is the moment she's talking about. Wait, 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 like, like this chapter? Uh, this Or this, this, this time, this, this epic, general, okay. This epic that's happening, Okay, this story that's taking place, Sweet. is the awakening of Arrakis. <laughs> there's a lot that's in this, but there's talks about the Fremen religious adaptation, mm-hmm. which we now know is the pillars of the universe, who's Quizara Tafid, which basically is their evangelists. Kizara Tafweed. Yeah, they're evangelists, they're crusaders, they're prophets and priests. Okay, I was thinking it might be like an an angelic type thing, because it's like they're all around us. 
That makes more sense, like yeah. logically. They are in charge of spreading the religion. Okay, cool. I'm for it. Yeah. Um, and they would spread the pillars of the universe. Among us are all the signs and proofs and prophecy. And what's, what's going to happen is, remember the OC Bible? Yeah. And how the OC Bible was written as like a, they took all the religions in, from all the planets and kind of put them all together and tried to make a one religion. Yeah. And so they kind of stamped the things and old things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what's happening with the Fremen religion. Okay. What's, what's going to happen in the future is that the Fremen religious stuff that's happening on Arrakis is going to get stamped onto the entire universe. Okay. There, so songs that we would know of, say, religious songs are going to have a Fremen twist to them now at the end. Like everywhere? Everywhere. Ooh, sweet. Okay. So this, um, so yeah, it's this new music stamped on old forms with this new awakening, this new flavor that's hit the universe. Um, who has not heard and been deeply, deeply moved by the old man's hymn? So I was going to take this line by line because I find it interesting. Okay. I drove my feet through the desert whose mirage fluttered like a host. That kind of reminds me of what's happening in this chapter right now. Yes. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. V- voracious for glory, greedy for danger. Who in the story has been greedy for danger? Ferocious for glory. Paul? I was thinking more of the Duke Lido. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're Diving in head first, not knowing how big yes, right. he's in this thing, right? I forgot, I forgot about Lido, which is sad. Too soon. He <laughs> only died a few chapters ago. <laughs> I roam the horizons of Al Kulab. That's just a place on Dune. I had to look it up. Okay. Watching time level mountains. Where have we seen that? Um, Evan puts his hand to his head and thinks. <laughs> Man. Remember Paul's mental breakdown and yes. how he saw time rolled out in front of him? Yes. Okay. With mountains and valleys. It's all coming back. All right. It's been a while since we've recorded. Right. With the, the magic of podcasting, we just we just did. The, we just talked about this. But it's well, You only need one chapter at a time. Right. So there's a lot to catch on to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw the sparrows swiftly approach. That kind of reminds me of this chapter. Yeah, that's something similar. A similar bird shows up in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Bolder than an onrushing wolf. This is definitely a spoiler, but it's not till book four. So you're going to completely forget about it when we get to that point. But it, the, the book opens with a girl running from onrushing wolves. What, a book, book four in here? Yeah. In this, in no, this book like a... Big, like, the, in, the in physical God, book, like the next, the next book, right? In God Emperor of Dune, the fourth installment in the series. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. The book opens with an onrushing wolf. Okay, which I just find interesting. That like I don't know how far Frank had it planned out, but some of these metaphors and images pop up a lot. Hmm. It's kind of nice to see that they spread in the tree of my youth. I heard the flock in my branches. I think you just talked about. The trees you would have seen being on Caladan. Right. So I think this song is talking about Paul. He is the old man. Ooh. And was caught in their beaks and claws. I know we read this like two weeks ago, 
because of Christmas and New Year's and whatnot. But do you remember what got caught in beaks and claws in the last chapter? So they go, they go up. He he flips. Evan flips back like two pages. <laughs> narrating every physical <laughs> thing that I'm doing. Well, not everyone can watch us on I YouTube. They're guess. listening. There's a certain creature that gets caught in a beak and a claw when he comes. Paul and Jessica come into the um, paradise, the fairy world. The rat, the the little muhadib, the muhadib gets ah! caught in the beaks and claws. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Well, I just, there's that. Boom. Yeah. I just wanted. There's. I don't know much more about this, but I want to go through line by line almost with that song because I think there is. There's a lot happening in there. Right. Right. And like like I said when I read it tonight like before you before you got here i was like okay caleb's gonna ask me about this quote and what am i seeing and i'm seeing nothing but now it's like every line has something in it like every little piece of it yeah we're referring back to it and what's happening yeah there's this experience that's happening on the planet we are smack dab in the middle of it jeez um but of course that we don't talk about that experience in this chapter we who's who's this chapter about Evan? It's about Heinz, who shows up as a disgruntled, naked man with a with a cloak on and nothing else. That's it. Flumping through the desert. I don't know if flumping is a word, but it is now. So yeah, snowbin. It's like noonday, right? Sun is out, and you see a man crawl across a dune top. Right, he's dressed only in his, the remnants of his juba cloak. And this man is Kimes. He falls, pushes him stuff up, and he pronounces his name. As I am Liet Kimes. I am Liet Kimes. Have we ever heard him addressed like that before? Um, we've heard him called Liet. We've heard him called Kimes. But we have not heard him called Liet Kimes. Yes. Who calls him Kimes? Um, all the imperial people, the Atreides, the 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 Sardaukar, the the Harkonnens, all of them. Who calls him Liet? The Fremen. The Fremen, dude. Yeah, yeah. And no one, even Hala, was like, "Who is this Liet? He serves two masters. Could right. be a deity." And we now know he is Liet kinds, both Fremen and Imperial. Wow, I did, <laughs> I did not get that from but. just that one little reference. That's really good. He says, I am the Imperial Majesty's planetologist, the planetary ecologist for Arrakis. I am steward of this land. I'm steward of this land. He stumbles and falls sideways down the sand. <laughs> His hands dig into the sand. I am steward of this sand. Where did we uh where did we laugh last leave off with kinds? Do you remember? Um, the bunker mm-hmm. thing, right? When the when the Harkonnens um, or Sardaukar or whoever came in, they killed Duncan Idaho, right? Yeah. And uh, Kynes sends them down a secret passageway to escape, and that's when they get in the thopter and the storm and all that stuff. Right, they part ways. Liette says he's going to go and disappeared and so he's not going to know where paul is and he tells paul like my people will find you then he disappears right we next know we know in the next chapter in the harkonnen chapter that he's been captured by the harkonnens mm-hmm. nafood says that we have liet and we have howick right 
And the Baron says, oh, but both of them are by the Sardaukar. We have to get them way out of Sardaukar hands. Right. So the Baron's like, just tell them we need to play them off each other and they will have accidents. Right. So this this whole thing is Kynes' accident. This is Kynes' accident. Mm. So Nafud somehow did his job, got both of them away, probably beat up Kynes and left him out in the desert. Yeah, because he's, he's bleeding, right? So yes. he's, he's bleeding. And he has no still suit on. Right. So it's only a matter of time before something happens to him. Either a worm gets him or he's killed by the planet himself. And he knows that he's close to his end. Right. And uh, he knows he's also going delirious. Yeah. This is the very end of everything. But he knows, he knows what he should be doing. Even all this crap is happening. Like, the first step is you should dig down into this into the slip face into the shadow face of the dune and stay in the shade so the sun doesn't take any more of your water yeah you should he was saying he needs to like bury himself right just under the surface mm-hmm. but there's a problem what's the problem problem is uh and i'm still fully trying to understand it there's a pre-spice pocket yeah, there's a pre-spice mass under him. Yeah, which means basically it's like a big bubble, like deep in the sand. Uh-huh. And when well, this is this is they explain this later in the in the chapter, but like there's a bubble, and when it pops, there's suddenly like unoccupied space, and so all of the sand is gonna like rush down all the sand that's above it is going to rush down and make kind of like a maelstrom of sand that like sucks everything up, and then it's right? going to explode okay so it, it, it like actually blows up blows like, up like incendiary like explosion explosion like nuclear bomb boom oh shoot okay it like goes off i thought i thought from reading it was just like there's a bubble and it pops and the sand goes down and everything that's on the sand goes down with it i didn't think it was like and then some oh. and then yeah something come bursts up and that's what kills kinds at the end spoiler till the end of the chapter um but you should see this coming that it's kind of in the title this is the death of kinds plus like if you're listening to the podcast and then reading the chapter that's a little strange. <laughs> we agree. You should go back to the beginning and listen to us afterwards. Right. <laughs> yes. All right. So he has to leave, get out of the way from the pre pies mask, because mm-hmm. otherwise he will die. And then all of a sudden, uh, a subconscious thought hits his brain. Super clear. The planet is in its landscape. How we take part in that basic source of civilization, agriculture. I have it on the screen here if you need it. I just, I need a pencil. You need to underline underline it? My stuff, yeah. Um, This podcast is brought to you by pencils. When you need to underline it in a book, we suggest you do so. I'm also a huge fan of underlining. And then also giving your other books to people with your underlined notes in them. Oh, so cool. It's like some kind of weird coded message and you feel like a... It's like you're reading a book with people. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of like what the podcast is like. I feel like I'm reading a book along with all of you. And if you have a favorite moment in Dune or completely disagree with us, as I see some people in the comment they're doing, mm-hmm. um, they just want to know uh, how Liette, what they thought, they didn't like my interpretation of Liette seeking glory. So, um, ferocious for glory, greedy for danger. Uh, I'm kind of referencing how uh, Leto like his dad 
got into the ring with the bull. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to prove that he could do this, wanting to getting it over his head. Even Jessica knew that there was no, no, there was nothing for the father. Right. There was nothing he could do for it, but he still went for it. Right. Because he needed that rush to say that, hey, no matter what the cost is, I can do it. I mean, the Baron also has that same inkling, yeah. ferocious for glory, needing to know and be the best. Yeah, I guess it could be a lot of people. Even the it Emperor. Could be kinds, it could be it could be the Emperor. Yeah. Exactly. It could be several of them. When it, I mean, definitely kinds too. When is going too far going to kill you? Right. In this chapter. Kind does, yeah. Kind <laughs> does something that ends up killing him. Yeah. And his father, which we'll get into, uh, definitely lets him know that. Yeah. All right. I have to get freaky with, with Kind's dad over here. All right. The real wealth of a planet in its landscape. How we take part in the basic source of civilization agriculture. Agriculture. So, in order to have a civilization, people mass together, you have to have a way to get food. Right. You have to have a way to um, sustain those people. Mm-hmm. And that's where the wealth of the planet is. Can, how can you sustain the human race and your people group with the natural resources given on the planet? Yeah. And then Kynes goes, he thinks how strange it is that even in this dying moment, his mind is on a one track yes. and it won't get off. He's been programmed to do this, to think like this, and he, he can't stop it. That's it. The Harkonnen troops had left him out here thinking the worm might get him if the desert didn't. (laughs) They thought it was amusing to leave him alive to die in inches from the impersonal hands of his planet. But Kind says, it's not easy to kill a Fremen. We we don't die easy. And then the thought, again, boom. The highest function of ecology is understanding consequences. Okay, Evan, what what is ecology? Oh, you're asking me all the questions that make me feel stupid. Well, I mean, if you're feeling stupid, other people are feeling stupid. Because yeah, you're, you're pretty true. smart. I am the I am the 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 base of stupidity for this podcast. Um, ecology, the study of the world ecosystem, like studying the ecos. I wish I just you know. I wish I could have just like had a encyclopedic understanding of like. Latin and Greek, and I could just blah, 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 tell you what the etymology of the word. But yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's the study of, of ecosystems and how things work together right. in that interplay. So you nailed it. So it's basically going to say that in order for, because the, the Araxis is going to have a planetary ecologist. There could be planetary ecologists for other planets as right. well, but their job is to um, study the planet and make it habitable for humans. Yeah. You're trying to study the um, chemical, biological interplay, everything that works together for in their favor. Right. Kynes understands who this voice is that's saying these things. It's the voice of his father, the ecologist before him, Pardot Kynes, his daddy. He wants to turn to see his father, and as he's laying on in the sand, he turns his head to the left and tries to see it in the sand, grates his face. And he doesn't see anything because his father's been dead right. for a very long time. Right. And this is where he hears his dad's voice again. Got yourself in quite a fix here, son. You should have known the consequences of trying to help that child or that Duke. Kinds, I'm delirious. <laughs> I'm delirious. I'm right. making this up. What choice did Kinds make? 
to protect Paul, to, to protect. like keep Paul safe. Yeah. He saw a uh, glimpse of the his. <sighs> it's been a while, man. It's OK. That's a big word. I don't remember how to say it. <laughs> All right. What was the other choice he could have made? He could help Paul or totally screw him. Right. Like kill him, have him killed, turn him into the Harkonnens. Because the Fremen would have continued with or without Paul. Right. It would have been a, it would have been a, the easier choice. Mm-hmm. And what's Kynes' ultimate goal? What's Pardot's ultimate goal? The, the like terraforming or like uh, renewal of, Arrakis right to turn it into a paradise yes so that's where Pardot is saying well everything has consequences and the consequences of you and Paul is you die you could not done this you know this right so the the voice first came from the left now it came from the right kind scraped his face through the sand to go to the other direction but nothing there the more he's definitely losing it Kind or Pardot's voice again. The more life in a system, the more inches. No, sorry. The the more life in a system, the more niches there are for life. That was that was a good one. That's I wanted to underline that too. The more life in a system, the more niches there are for life. Like the more life there is somewhere, the more uh, life finds a way. Right. Yeah. So if there are, if, if, if it's a barren place, it's harder for life to pop up. But if you have different forms of life in a place, it's easier for life to find a way into that system. Right. Even in a barren place, if life is introduced, then that life will add an element into this system that allows more, uh, a a more like, like more nutrients, yeah. Play, like, yeah, it, it turns it turns this barren place into a place that can sustain life. It's almost like life itself creates more life. Yeah, no matter where it is and what it looks like. Right. Then we get a definition for life right afterwards. Pardot says life improves the capacity of the environment to sustain life. Life makes needed nutrients more readily available. It binds more energy into the system through tremendous chemical interplay from organism to organism. So, for instance, when you, Evan, um, eat, say, a carrot, right? You're getting energy from the carrot that it got from where? The ground and the sun. Right. So the nutrients that it collected from the sun, you are then also using in your body. Mm -hmm. And then... It gets it leaves you and then goes and gets used by say earthworms right. or other insects that would eat what you have and then the earthworms then get eaten by something else. So it's like life never leaves that system. Right. So that the, energy the energy just always keeps cycling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is where Kynes asks himself, why does he keep harping on the same subject? <laughs> I knew this one before I was ten. And right then, he looks up and sees some desert hawks that begin to circle over him. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Well, what are the hawks looking for? Dead stuff to eat. Well, his, the, let's just say the water that's in him. Right. They would take that so they could live. Right. Right. So the system continues. The voice in his head continues. 
We're generalists. You can't draw neat lines around planet-wide problems. Planetology is a cut-and-fit science. What do you got? Why well, I got? Yeah. Uh, he's like, Kynes is like getting more and more annoyed with the ghost of his father lecturing at him right now. It's like that that was something that I thought was really funny throughout the whole the whole chapter. And he here's where it starts like getting exponentially worse. So like, what's he trying to tell me? What's the consequence? like what's the consequence I, I failed to see? What's the consequence that I that I missed? You know, he's not to the point where he's like, shut up, but he's he's, he's getting there for sure. To get annoyed. I uh part on it is basically saying being an ecologist, trying to do this thing. It's not like you need, we just get water. It will all fix the problem. Right. You have to get water and something else and something else. And once you get something, it's going to have unnecessary con- or unthought of differences that you're going to deal with later. It's like when you're trying to solve political things and you think, right. oh, if we just did this one thing, it would fix everything. It's like, no, that one thing, if you did that, here's the list of problems that would happen. So you have to find something that's going to address several things at the same time. You got to be a generalist about this. Kind's cheek slumped back into the hot sand. He could smell the pre-spiced gases. (laughs) He thinks back about what this could all mean. What did he miss? He thinks, well, there are birds up there. Maybe the Fremen will see him and maybe he'll get rescued. And then the voice in his head pops up again. To the working planetologist, this is the most important tool is human beings. You must cultivate ecological literacy in the people. This is why I've created this entirely new form of ecological notion. You can feel that you can feel at this point, uh, Pardot, um, Liet Kine's dad, just legit lecturing like he would to his son or to right. a group of people. He's teaching right. in this moment. So what's what's the point he's trying to make? That humans are the thing that's going to make the biggest difference. You got to use got to use humans as like a tool to to create the environment that you're trying to create. Right. If you can get you need to get everybody on board. Right. Um which and this won't necessarily be spoilers either. But when we get to the Fremen CH, mm-hmm. Pardot kind created the entire educational system. So he's teaching all of the Fremen how to do all of this and the science behind all of it. Gotcha. Because he knows that like once he's gone, it's going to take more than one lifetime right. to do all of this. So we have to like, instill it into the people, use the people. They're your biggest resource. Right. And it seems like he's, he's, not only teaching them, not only like teaching them how to do this thing, he's, he's teaching them to live in a way that's going to further the development of this system that he's creating. Correct. You know, so like they don't even know that they are like that they're that life that's being implanted into a barren system to create more life. Right. The Fremen are uh, life itself. Like as a human being, you right. You are life in a system, right? And your job is to create more life, right? And they don't—I don't think they understand the the bigness of that scale. They're just following orders. Yeah, which is which is seemingly what he wants. It's like, oh yeah, if you guys keep doing things this way, it's gonna work. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, we'll just keep doing. You know? Yes. Kind's body starts to feel cold. 
but he knows uh, this isn't actually happening. It's his body overheating, and without a still suit, he won't last much longer. Though, then we get Pardot's goals. The first goal on Arrakis is grasslands. We start with poverty grass, and then move into upland forests, then a few bodies of open water, small at first, always with wind traps. On this planet, we'll never get away from wind traps. Hmm. So this is the first thing we have to, because when Paul and Jessica looked out on the dunes, they could see grasses right. popped up, but they didn't know if they were mirages, was eyes playing tricks on them. But no, there are actually little grasses out there. Yeah. So if you can get enough of those formed, you can start to pull back the dunes. Remember, uh, Frank Herbert started all of this watching the dunes in Oregon and mm-hmm. them trying to get rid of them by putting these poverty grasses in there. Yeah. Grasses that needed the smallest amount of water. Right. So this is the plan for Pardot. Let's get the grasses first, and then we can start with some forests. And then you could possibly at that point, get some water and like put a lake together on the surface. Small at first, but you'll never get away from using wind traps. Right. So this is how you would terraform the planet over time. And then Kind just thinks again, always lecturing me. Why doesn't he shut up? I'm dying. (laughs) Can't he see I'm dying? Hey, I'm trying to die over here. Get out of here. <laughs> Why it just makes me think of uh I mean obviously Kind's relationship with his dad, but Frank's relationship with his own father. Uh, Man. That's I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of that. That's when this this relationship is probably I mean, we have Paul's relationship with his dad to kind of almost juxtapose, but you have Pardot Kinds and Liette Kinds. Pardot was a, he was on a mission. Yeah. He was he was sent to Arrakis and found his way into the Fremen because he was stuck on this idea of like it doesn't have to be this way. Right. Humans can live here right. if this is what we need to do in the system to tip it in our favor. Yeah, I mean, so was Leto. Yeah, David. Leto had the same kind, of, basically the same aspiration. He was coming from a more political perspective. Right. So maybe both of them say something about um, Frank's dad. You know, maybe I don't know anything about. I don't know anything either. Yeah. But maybe he had some kind of obsession, some kind of thing that he was trying to make happen. And we know different facets of Frank's experience. We know Frank had a obsession. Yeah. I mean, being a writer, this was. I mean, he worked as a journalist off and on, making ends meet, but his wife was definitely the breadwinner until this took off in his, he was in his 50s or 60s by this point. So there's definitely that, like, I will do everything I can to make it yeah. until I make it. I think that's almost the same kind of thought. Maybe this like greed for uh, glory or... Maybe there's something in there for that. <laughs> So yeah, Kynes thinks to himself, oh, why doesn't he shut up? Can't he see him dying? And bam, right in his head again. And you will die too if you don't get off this bubble that's forming right deep beneath you. (laughs) And there, you know it. You smell the pre-spice gases. You know the little makers beginning to lose some of their water into the mass. Mass. 
All right, little makers. What do you got? Nothing. Dude. Nothing. What's a maker? Ah, uh, okay, okay. I, I use your have, context clues. I have no like actual idea from reading just like on the surface because I read these chapters like pretty quickly before we do these podcasts. It's like worms. Are they the worms? Are they like little tiny worms? Are they something else completely? The little worms. They're little worms. Well, I mean, what's a maker? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right. We'll go. We won't get into it here. We'll get a little do the chapter and then we'll dive into it. Dang it. Okay. Uh, and maybe you'll figure it out along the way as we keep going on. Okay. Kynes pushes himself up to his knees and he hears a bird screech. Uh, then the voice in his head pops up again. We must do a thing never done before. We must use man to be a constructive ecological force with a plant here and an animal there, a man there to transform the water cycle. And looking into the water cycle was the first clue between the relationship between the worm and the spice. Right. What do you got? Dude, nothing. Dude. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing. I'm like, there's something in there that I missed, and now I'm like too far gone, and I like won't be able to figure it out. No, we're just gonna do a quick refresher. It sounds like I'm being really hard on myself in this episode. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm just presently in this moment frustrated at my lack of understanding. I love myself. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there's definitely, um, how do we say this? Frank gives clues along the way without ever saying where it all leads. Right. So do you remember the the conversation that Yui had with Paul right when they got to Arrakis? Uh, no, no, that was like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so they were talking about why don't they just drill wells, right? Right. So Yui was saying that every time they drilled wells, no matter where they drilled, there would be water and they would be gone. Right. No yes, matter where yeah. you drilled water, it was all of a sudden it was there and then it wasn't. Right. Um, well, what do the little makers surround? What we know now that the there's pre-spice mass, there's water underneath us. Right. Right? And that the little makers are there putting something into the water. It's almost like they're attracting the water. So every time you would dig down, a little maker would come and take the water away. Okay. So the water would always be taken away. So there's a there's definitely a relationship between the water and spice. Right. And the little maker. Okay. All right, we're gonna get into it. So this is where the first clue is, because Pardot is gonna say that um ecology is a closed system, right? If and if you because he says he knew about the little makers before he ever saw them, before he ever knew, because there was a gap in the system. Right. Where's the water going? What is happening and what's going on with it? Um, he even says, how strange it is that people never looked into why there's a near ideal hydrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide balance here with no plant life. Right. Right? That, that it's got me like, wait. Okay, Think so about the little makers have something to do with that, but that still with no wasn't enough to give me like over over the hump of like what's actually going on. So on Earth, we need the plants, right? Because mm -hmm. plants 
produce um, oxygen. Right. We breathe oxygen and then we exhale carbon dioxide. Plants need carbon dioxide. So it's right. a closed loop. Yeah. Um, but on Arrakis, there's no plant life to put off the oxygen that humans breathe. Yet right. humans on Arrakis breathe perfectly normal. Right. So what's providing the oxygen? So there's the gap in the system. Yeah. So that's why that's where there's a gap in the and also there's not quite enough water. So where's the water going and why is there oxygen in the system? What chemical um, interplay exchange transformation is happening mm-hmm. there so humans can survive on this planet? But the problem is hum- humans never looked at this. No one looked at this. Right. Because they were all obsessed with the spice. Right. What this planet could give them. No one looked up from the spice at all. I mean, spice creates the guild navigators, the Bene Gesserit use it, all of your royalty use it to prolong life. It has extreme benefits. I mean, whoever controls the spice controls the universe. So why would we ever look into what, say, makes the spice or why the planet works? Let's just take the spice and run. Right. Which is just reckless and like you know oh yeah selfish and greedy and I awful mean, we humans do it on our planet all the time we oh, just take from our planet without constantly doing it without ever thinking about what the consequences are to that in our own system right let's let's just take the oil out of the ground put it in our cars and then have the smog go up to which then warms the planet to which makes everything harder for life you know the system just goes on and on right all right. So a hawk that was up in the air lands on the sand near Kynes' outstretched hand, as now Kynes is laying in the dunes. The hawk folds its wings, tips its head to stare at him, basically asking, are you dead yet? <laughs> you just go ahead and die, please. Can you die? I'd like it. I'd like the water that you have. <laughs> It'd be nice. Kynes found the energy to make a noise with the bird. The bird just hopped back and waited. Didn't fly up, just moved back. The hawk then lowered its head and stared into Kynes' hand. Kynes tried to make another noise, but he had no energy to do anything. The hawk again took a hop closer, studying his exposed flesh. Right then, another thought from Hardot popped into Kynes' head. Arrakis is a one-crop planet. One crop. It supports a ruling class that lives as the ruling classes have lived in all times, while beneath them a semi-human mass of semi-slaves exist on the links. It is the masses and the leavings that occupy our attention. They are far more valuable than has ever been suspected. The masses of Arrakis will know that we work to make the land flow with water. Most of them, of course, will have only a semi-mystical understanding of how we do this. Right, which is what we were talking about before. He's introducing these concepts to them that are it, uh, they're doing science. The yes, the, the kinds the kinds fam is doing science, but the Fremen see this like mystical thing that's going on, this like spiritual thing that's going on, or at least that's that's what they think is going on. Right, right. Um. Who, what's the crop that Arrakis provides? Spice. Boom. Um, what is the ruling class on the planet? I mean, the, the whoever is uh, 
in charge empirically of the planet, like the Fufferluches. And when I was reading this for the first time, um, think not human. Oh, the worms are in charge. The worms are in charge of the planet. Yeah. Everything beneath the worms on the planet are these semi-human, semi-slaves. Oh, okay. I did not see it like that at all. And so Kynes has to focus on those, on everything underneath the worms' life cycle and that all the energy they produce, there is excess. There is that little bit of excess a little bit left over and Kynes is going to use those, that little bit of leftover to tip the system in his favor. Okay. Okay. You're going to, once we go into the, the, how the worms happen, this will all make a lot more sense. Okay. I hope you're understanding that. Kynes again is just saying how he wants to just shut up. (laughs) Um, Please. Right. And he's thinking about, Oh, a worm. Hmm. A worm, Kynes thought with a surge of hope. A maker is sure to come when the bubble bursts. So what's a maker? A worm. Okay. But I have no hooks. How can I mount a big maker without hooks? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I remember now reading. It's like, okay, a maker is a worm. But I didn't know if little maker made a big enough difference that it was like, just was it just a small worm? Or was it some other creature completely? You know? I don't know. I call babies little humans. So it's fair. <laughs> and so what do maker hooks do remember because you have maker hooks in your frame kit right so what do you think they do just allow you to ride a worm like a crazy space cowboy yeah i'm nodding my head in the green what <laughs> that's what i figured but like that also seemed really crazy and like outlandish while I was reading it, so I didn't know if that's what it meant or not. <laughs> this is definitely what it means. So sick. <laughs> right. We were talking about the we were talking about the gap between gap. Science is made up of things that appear obvious after they're explained. Right. I knew the little maker was there deep in the sand long before I ever saw it. Kind stop lecturing me. Um and then he thinks somebody somebody asked if you cheated if you actually know. But the maker hooks are no. He got that on his own. No, I, yeah, I did. I did get that on my own. Yeah, against all odds. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of thinks in a minute I'll get up and I'll tell him what I really think of him. Standing there lecturing me when he should be helping me. Then- I just my mind just flashed to uh, Ratatouille when uh, Remy is seeing. Gusto, the little the little chef, and he's like, oh, how can I do that? I am a figment of your imagination. <laughs> like, that's what Kynes' dad is saying to him right now. <laughs> I'm going to show you. I look what you're going to do to me. That's exactly, that's exactly it. <laughs> uh, standing there, lecturing me, a bird took a hop closer to Kynes' outstretched hands. Two more hawks drifted down in the sand behind it. Dude. There's more just waiting for it. Honestly, in a in a abundant, beautiful American like uh, world, yeah, environment, environment. If I was like sitting on a rolling hill somewhere with plenty of water and a picnic, and a hawk came up, I would already be freaked out, like losing it, like whoa, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get away from me! You're scary. And then like 
this dude's dying in the desert and like three hawks and like a bunch more just like showing up as freaky waiting waiting and again pardot in his head religion and law among our masses must be one and the same an act of disobedience must be a sin and require religious penalties this will have a dual benefit of bringing greater obedience and greater bravery we must not depend so much on the bravery of individuals you see as upon the bravery of a whole population i didn't like that part why because because that's uh it's just everything that he's been saying is like all right you're doing some science stuff you're getting people to like change a planet and make it like an abundant place cool now you're talking about like combining religion and politics and if we know our history that never really turns out in a any kind of good way you know like that you call, ends up being good would you call that manipulation oh yeah fully and we can even see um places in the world today where that is like biting the population in the butt where it's like religion and, and politics just it's totally controlling um the the masses in whatever that place is. yeah and part of wants to control the masses to right. do this right who does he sound like that we've met so far? What kind of group of people? Uh, B'nai Jesuit? Yeah. Yeah. And the missionary protectiva? Yeah. How they would go to different worlds and work in different religious things yeah. for their own benefit? Man, I didn't realize that that was slimy until I heard the way that he's <laughs> saying it here. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, wow. All right. And this is where Kind thinks, where's my population now when I need them most? He summoned what was left of his energy, moves his hands, and the birds now are now watching them take a step back. And then again, we have his father's voice in his head. As the forces we insert establish themselves, vegetation and animal changes, we need only to control 3% of the energy's surface. 3%? To tip the entire structure over into our self-sustaining systems. So most of the birds and the uh, other plant life was been slowly introduced. Right. But they just need 3% of life in that form will then start to grow and be self-sustained. Right. You don't need a lot to do it. Hmm. Um, of putting life into the system in this way. Yeah. Because animals like us, there um well we'll see hawks and rabbits and mice and everything else they they consume oxygen the same way that we would do plants would be a different form but they produce the carbon dioxide so we have a good relationship there Uh, some plants something like that something like that you should buy a plant for your house you breathe better that way oh i should i have no plants but i just moved in you did Everyone, congratulate Evan on his new place. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I no longer right. live in a vehicle, so. I mean, 2020. <laughs> well, 2021 now, as we're currently recording this. Yeah. It was an RV, people. It was an RV. It was a nice My RV. My family was not living in a Honda Civic. No. We have a, we have a nice They had a bed. RV. It was cool. Yeah. But now they have a bed in a house. <laughs> Kinds wonders, why aren't you helping me? 
always the same. When I need you the most, you fail me. <laughs> yeah, knife to the heart. There. Emo, emo kinds. He wanted to turn his head and stare in the direction of his father's voice and stare the old man down. But every muscle removed or refused to answer his demand. What's that? Moves closer. <laughs> it approaches his hand, a cautious step at a time, while his companions waited in mock indifference. He stopped, only a hop away from his hand. And in that moment, profound clarity filled Kynes' mind. He saw, quite suddenly, a potential for Arrakis that his father had never seen. The possibilities along that different path flooded through him. All right, what do you see? What do you see, Evan? Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, wait, what is the next line? His, his dad, his dad says, no more terrible disaster could befall your people than for them to fall into the hands of a hero. Capital H hero. Yeah. Difference, but um, when I was reading, I didn't know if he was talking about uh, Paul, right? Your people to fall into the hands of a, of a Muhadib, Kishratarash kind of guy, or um, if it was his dad um, talking two kinds about kinds himself in this moment where he was like suddenly positive about the possibilities of him getting out of this situation, something like that, you know, like, yeah, I could see that. So I, I, it was one or one or the other for me. I could, I could be the kinds. hero. Right. Um, like what your people don't need right now is for you to like be a hero, get out of this and think yourself fantastic. You know, like, I think everything is because the big mistake Pardot comes back to is son, you made the mistake by trusting Paul. If you wouldn't have right. trust Paul, you would still be alive and everything would be fine and the framework would continue. But I think what Kynes sees in this moment of clarity is what Paul could do. Right. And and like I think that was the whole reason he had that change of attitude when he met Leto in the first place and when he was talking to Paul in the first place it was like oh wait they want to terraform too like they want they to, want life to solve this problem in Iraq yeah. they want life and so he's dying he's like oh no I'm gonna die and everything's gonna be terrible and not work out and then that moment of realization I'm going like but no wait it will work out if Paul can can make this happen because what I want is what Paul wants as well. Like this doesn't die with me in the, in the desert right now. Right? Yeah. Cause you definitely see a change of attitude in kind throughout this whole, since we've met him, cause he was mm -hmm. supposed to be, he's supposed to kill um, the Atreides. If the Harkon is for the emperor, right. He's supposed to just rid them off. Everything continues as usual, but his allegiances switched over time at the dinner party. They were talking about the conservatory and Jessica says, no, we're going to take that. For the people of Arrakis, yeah. these are these are the plants we're going to use. And kind of like, wait a minute. Yeah. And then there's that typical Atreides sincerity that Paul has. Right. That oh no no no, what I can give you in my life for every for all of your purposes, and what's going to happen when his people find that Atreides sincerity that. They're going to latch on to. They're going to flock to. Yeah. Like, which is, which is what Jessica, I think it was Jessica that brought up the, the Atreides sincerity. That's what 
Uh-huh. So like men, men flock to it. Men like can't help but give their allegiance to it. You know? Yeah, they're they're attracted to it in a way that's almost magnetic. Yeah. Um, and I think this is where Kind sees what Paul can do, and like a whole possible situation his father had never thought of. Yeah. Like we will accomplish this and so much more. Right. Like I did, I did the right thing. And this is where his father was like, you should have never trusted anybody. Um, but kind of thinks, ah, reading my mind, dad. Well, let him. The messages have already been sent to my siege villages. Nothing can stop them. If the Duke's son is alive, they'll find him and protect him as I command. They may discard the woman, his mother, but they'll save the boy. Which, when I read that, I was like, I don't know if the message got there because those Fremen sounded like really edgy and like they're going to just straight up eat Paul and Jessica in the last, in the last chapter. Well, yeah, we're going to find out when we get there if they survive. Mm-hmm. That's a part of Paul's dark space. He doesn't know if they're going to make it or not. The hawk takes, again, one step closer. It dips its head at the examining flesh. Abruptly, it straightens, stretches head upward, and in a single screech, leaped into the air. Squaw! Banked away overhead with his companion behind it. They've come, kind of thought. My Fremen have found me. Then he heard the sand rumbling. <laughs> Every Fremen knew the sound and could distinguish it immediately from the noises of the worms, which, again, everybody knows when a worm sounds. Yeah. It's like, he versus a... <laughs> Yeah, okay, cool. I'm glad everyone got uh, that. I'm great at sound effects, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> That's where you get paid for. <laughs> Somewhere beneath him, the pre-spiced mass had accumulated enough water and organic matter from the little makers and had reached a critical stage of wild growth. A gigantic bubble of carbon dioxide was forming deep in the sand, heaving upwards in a tremendous blow with a dust and whirlpool at its center. It would exchange whatever been formed deep in the sand for whatever lay on the surface. Right? So what's yeah. gonna, it's going to have an explosion go upward. Okay. So there's an actual, it's not like, that's what I was, that's what I, I was asking you before. It's not like, it doesn't seem like an incendiary, like transformers explosion. You know, like it's just kind of like, a little geyser of dust and then like everything falls into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you can, you'll be able to see a spice flow from like the surface. Okay. Like everyone knows where it is. Cause you're going to have people flock to it. Gotcha. The Fremen are going to come there. Uh, I mean, they're pretty far probably South at this point. Cause they're in spice desert, but like uh, anybody who is going to be a spice harvester would then come and lay on top of it and collect all the spice. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's why I was confused earlier. Cause like, um, as it, as it keeps talking, um, okay. Yeah. We'll just keep going. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep going. We'll the keep hawks going. circled overhead, screeching their frustration. They won't get the water. Right. They didn't get it. That was a lot of water just sitting there waiting for them and they couldn't do it. They knew what was happening. Any desert creature would know. I am a desert creature. Kind of thought you see me father. I am a desert creature. He shakes his fist at the sky. I'm sure if he had enough energy, he would do that. (laughs) He felt the bubble lift him, felt it break, and the dust whirlpool engulf him, dragging him down into cool darkness. For a moment, the sensation of coolness and the moisture 
for blessed relief. Then, as his planet killed him, it occurred to Kynes that his father and all other scientists were wrong. The most persistent principles of the universe were accident and error. Even the Hawks could appreciate these facts. Boom. Accidents and error. Like, as much as we want to plan things and put things out to, like, a plan with math and science and try to get it all perfect, some chaos, the chaos agent will insert itself somewhere in the formula that you don't know and disrupt everything. Not even even just in math and science and just, like, life and... uh, uh, fixing a flat tire on your car right and like regular stuff there's always that like i find myself a lot of the time when i'm like really frustrated about something that's happening it's like why can't it just be the the simplest the simplest version of this thing you know like me changing the tire on this car uh right why why do i have to like do all these extra steps you know but that's that's life life is just always a little bit more complicated than it seems like it should be or sometimes you own, you benefit off accident like you could have never planned that you would get something but it works in your favor right, right. It, it could it totally works both ways yeah that's true yeah that's um that's it that, that accident error the most consistent things in the universe right <laughs> But, you know, for Kynes, this accident, this error that he's made or that his his father's trying to point out, he's like, yeah, maybe it's like it was a mistake in the sense that I'm now dying. But but shit's going to happen regardless. Just go for it. Right. Could it be the thing that finally allows us to turn Arrakis into a paradise? And uh, Liette was the leader, so the Fremen are going to be leaderless. Now, there's yeah. a vacuum yeah. about what may happen. And maybe Paul will fill that. Maybe they'll kill him. Who knows? I know, but you don't. Right. I mean, from the the thickness of what's left in my book, I think I know what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. You're right. That would be a lot of append- appendix. <laughs> I also think the quotes at the end kind of give it away of like, right. oh, what's going to happen? Right. Yeah. Arrakis is going to awaken. That's what's going to happen. Right. All right. All right. Let's dive into worms. Okay. Okay. Bring this. Ready. So what did you, let's, let's just go over it one more time. What do you think how the worms work in the planet? Um, Before I just give you all the answers. Well, um, now I have the, the datum of little makers and their whole, relationship with the water and all that kind of stuff so i'm still piecing things together in my brain uh last time we talked about it on the podcast i said that as spice might be worm poop Mm -hmm. um and it was a big hit by the way people love that (laughs) worm poop if we make merch we should just make a worm poop like a shirt that just says worm poop yeah worm poop it'll Uh, be viral but yeah i mean that's honestly that's all i got you know there's big worms there's big worms and there's apparently little baby tiny ones yeah 
and everything in between. All right. So this is uh, how worms get the nutrients to survive on a desert planet. Okay. We're going to start there. So worm in autotroph, which is an organism that is able to form nutrient organic substances from simple inorganic substances. Okay. So they turn um, inorganic substances into organic substances. They can, so sand. Sand. So they eat sand to fuel their body. Right. Um, The worm, the big worm, uses static electricity while moving through the sand to change the substance it eats, which would be sand, from the inorganic substance to the organic substance it needs to survive. Okay. So the static friction as it moves through heats up whatever's inside. So there's an internal furnace inside the worm that's taking sand or whatever it eats, could be spice harvesters, right? Inorganic substances like metal. Right. It it eats it all and it takes all of those chemical compounds and it makes it into the nutrients, which are gases. They're gases. So the worm needs the gases to survive. Um, the worm has deep flame somewhere in the body body cavity. This is why the worms always need to keep moving to keep the static electricity up. Gotcha. So, like, wait, okay, this may be a silly question, but like, deep flame, actual fire, or are we just is that poetic? Oh, the poets would call it a deep flame. No one's kind of sliced open a worm at this point <laughs> okay. to see, okay. but there is heat that comes out of the the mouth of the worm. Yeah, so actual physical. Right, so the Fremen religious would say there's deep flame. Gotcha, okay. Heating the worm. Um, so the excess heat also aids in driving the synthetic reactions, keeping the nutrients in, the, in its gaseous form for absorption. It also vaporizes any stray water that would be around so it's just hot because water once it gets into the worm system um neutralizes it it kills the worm water is kills the worm the big one uh. because the if you put the hydrogen and the oxygen in there like it like the chemical reaction takes place and it just melts right or just cools down that, that internal furnace and it, yeah yeah um this is from the encyclopedia by the way that's where i'm quoting this all from okay. um certainly it's well known that much of the oxygen on arrakis um comes from the sandworm the oxygen is the excess gas that's not used in the system for the survival of the worm right so that is how you have the nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide environment perfect for humans. Right. So um, the worm is, say, like half plant, half animal. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was just looking for in my book. Um, he said it somewhere. Those half plant, little blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, so the the worms are somewhere in between plant and animal yes that's crazy right so like i mean like a plant uses photosynthesis yeah. right to create nutrients along with carbon dioxide um you have the worm just takes inorganic material heats it up and then creates these gases which continue to fuel the worm and keep, keep it alive yeah and then the excess of that becomes the air 
if we were on Arrakis that we would breathe. Right. So that's that's the gap in the system. Okay. Where does the, where does the carbon dioxide go? Um, what do you mean? Are they are they also consuming carbon dioxide because like the cycle, as we said before, between us humans and plants right. is we expel carbon dioxide. The plants take it, turn it into oxygen. We breathe in the oxygen and the cycle continues. Right. Um, where's where's the carbon dioxide going? Uh, the ones that we would worm? that we would breathe out. Yeah. Um, probably just back into the worm and it would just go to the system. Okay. Okay, so it, it plays some kind of part right. with the worm. Okay. It, it, the worm could exist without us. Oh, okay. It doesn't need humans. All it needs is sand. Right. Well, all it has to be around water. Right. The water would kill it. Okay, so terraforming Arrakis then would be bad news for the worm. Correct. Who is the... Uh, the oh, one, they're the ones in charge the, of brackets. Yes, from an ecological perspective, 100%. Also, the fun fact the worms aren't native to Arrakis. Do we find that out in the book? Because that would be like. I find yeah. that that's, that's, it's just an offhand fact that means, that means nothing to the story. That what? That the, the way the life cycle of the worm works it terraforms the planet for its own uses, right. just like humans would do in this case. So right. we, you're trying to compete which life form is the top life form, the worms or the humans, right. who has more control over the planet to sustain life. Mm. And is there a way that we can work together? Because as we know, the humans love spice. Right. Now, where does the spice come from? Evan looks at me blankly. All right, so <laughs> the spice comes, so the pre-spice mass, uh -huh. right, is you have these little makers that come and they find water, it's, and they, they, they crystallize around the water, and they just bring more water into the system, and they form like a shell around it, and the little makers are tiny worms. Yes. What are we, tiny, what are we talking about, like the size of my arm? No, we're talking like... Um, uh, think like frogs. You have full-blown frogs, and then you have the tadpoles. Okay. So little makers are single-celled organisms. Oh, okay. That's pure goal in life is to get tracked water. They are okay. they will pull water from the system. Wow. Okay. Because big worms can't be around water so they're taking the water out of the system and they're cocooning around it all these little makers and they're bringing all the water in there and there's a chemical reaction that takes place that the little makers are putting into the water to create this giant bubble right. and this is the pre-spice mass when it gets so big it explodes everywhere and the moment it hits oxygen it oxidizes and it becomes spice. Okay. So the spice is coming from the water and the worm together. Oh. It's not worm poop. No, unfortunately. It's not. <laughs> but it is integral to the worm system. 
Um, and so that's where you get the yeah. spice from. But no one, everybody just thinks spice just pops up randomly. No one goes to look where's the spice come from, right. what chemicals are missed in this closed loop system yeah. to, to make. And that's where part I was saying, I knew they were there long before we saw them. Gotcha. And how it all worked out. So, how does a little maker become a? That I don't. I just figured out what a little maker actually is. All right. Two seconds ago, so <laughs> I've not had the time to process that. So, a little maker, right, is the single soil organism. Yeah. A bunch of them are going to come together and crystallize around this um, water as they pull yeah. in water from everywhere until it brings it to a certain point and explodes. Right. The worms in this massive explosion, half of these little makers, which are called sand trout later on, die. Yeah. They just don't make it. Evolution, they just kills them off. The ones that survive this traumatic event um, grew together for protection, which makes, and that over the course of a thousand years will make the first ring of a worm and a second layer of the worm. So okay. it's the teeth and then it's the sexual organs, according to the encyclopedia, which is never actually referenced in the actual book. So we'll just take it from there. Um, the first two rings, and then they grow rings as they continue to grow as bigger they get. Gotcha. And so you, that is how you form a new worm is the little makers okay. explode. And then you have this, um, takes a while and then grow into the next one. Okay. So the creation of spice is just a part of the creation of the worms themselves. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Most juvenile worms are female and it's unknown how they become male. So technically there are female and male worms. According to the Dune Encyclopedia, Mm-hmm. Um, what a female worm does is it burrows itself in the ground and makes a thumping sound to attract the male worm, which is where we get thumpers from. Right. They make that boom, 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 boom. The worms that are called are coming because there's movements, so they're just going to eat anything. Right. But it's probably just the sexual drive, the boom, boom, boom. They're right. going to go find a female somewhere to the male worm eats the female. Ooh. The egg case, which was inside a spice fiber, gets fertilized. And the male worm then spews out the egg case right back to where it is. It just vomits it out. Cool. Um, the egg case bursts when it releases thousands of little makers. And those little makers then spread out to find water and bring it back to where this is. Making the pre-spice mass. Until it gets to the point where it's collected enough water and blows up to the surface, oxidizes with the air and creates spice. And every time there's a spice blow, a worm comes. Mm-hmm. Because why? What calls a worm? Noise. Noise. Yeah. Movement. So anytime there's movement, a worm comes. So a lot of people think that worms eat the spice. They don't. Right. They just eat everything. Right. There's movement. They eat it. So the goal is, can you get something in there to harvest the spices as for as long as you can until a worm comes and you pop up. Right. And the worm 
always comes. Right. Does that make sense now when he's talking about little makers and what under you and yes. how the system all works? Yes. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense now. I won't ask you to um, repeat it back to me, though, because that's probably a lot. Yeah. I've, um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I definitely won't do that to you. Um, but yes. The worms are known as Shai Halud to the Fremen people. Mm-hmm. Um, it means old man eternity, right? They don't under the worms don't understand how all the intricacies that I just explained to you of how it all works. Mm-hmm. Like Pardot knew that, Kinds knew some of that. It's more of just a religious thing yeah. for the Fremen, right? There, because the worms are a they're a linchpin key animal in the ecosystem without it everything dies right so and plus they produce spice which is awesome and infects everything part of and is definitely part of the uh, fremen religious culture right um we're at an hour 15 so i'm gonna do this real fast wow okay it's a long one there was a, this one as as amanda says uh this chapter it's deep. <laughs> it's yeah. it's really deep. Yeah. There's a there's a lot happening. And if you don't when you first read it, I first read it, I thought it was cool. I didn't understand it. None of this stuff actually really matters in the story. It's kind of awkward. But it's fun to see the world building of what Frank Herbert put this he drew out the whole system and then wrote a framework around all of it. Yeah. There's no guessing about how the pieces work in Frank's mind. He knows yeah. how Everything works in yeah. the system. And I'm going to show you right now what um, what he was, kind of how he put this all together. So in the encyclopedia, um, there is, pulling it up right now, um, a hymn to Shai Hood. Ooh. And this hymn, uh, oh, there we go, is pulled directly from Job 41 for the most part. No way. Yeah, it's going to be kind of fun. Um, so I'm sharing on the screen now. Let's see if it pops up. Do, 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 do. Oh, let's do that. Chrome has lost permission. Oh, I don't know. Come on. I don't know if I can do this. I really want to do it. Um, we pull up on the big screen here. That's in front of Evan and I. Yep. I'll post on Twitter. Um, Twitter at Reading Dude. The hymn to Shy Halud. All right. So it, it's going to go verse by verse. And see if you can find any key distinctions, Evan, of how similar they are. So okay. Job 41 is talking about the Leviathan. And this is in the King James Version. Um, I roll. So in Hymn to Shai Halud, it says, Canst thou lasso him by the horns, or wilt thou rather harpoon him? In the in the in Job in the King James Version, canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? 
in the shim in the hymn to Shai Halud, will he let thee ride upon his back? Wilt thou take him for thy bearer forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a sound trout, or thou, or wilt thou present thy maidens to him? And as we continue with this, um, it's almost there's just slight changes in Job forty one that you can see Hank or Hank, you see Frank Herbert kind of pull from as he's making these right this religion, but it's still um very similar like you can see the 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 similarities very clearly between job and um and the the hymn to shilut like it's it's obvious even just without reading the words that they're like parallels you know what i mean like directly parallels like verse 14 who dare enters the doors of his face his teeth are terrible round about we met a, a worm teeth they're not fun right verse 14 in king james who can open the doors of his face his teeth are terrible round about it's all direct word for word for sure uh and in the very end it says upon dune there is not his like for he maketh the water of life he is chief in the ways of god he is shy halud the old father eternity so there is, and and maybe this is missionary protectiva, like, right? Because we know Job in the Orange Catholic Bible was like left in there because it's just a weird story as is. Right. But you can definitely see the Fremen stamp upon it. Yeah. Which we're gonna see also is gonna continue out because in the Arakine Awakening, there's gonna be a new Fremen stamp on everything. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it, it makes sense that Job would end up being an important um, piece of literature uh, for the feminine, yes, but like also just for that concept of the OC Bible in the first place. Yeah. Job being one of the oldest stories, not just like in the Bible, like one of the oldest stories thrown around in human history in the first place, you know, and, and even in other, um, other outside of the... Um, Jewish ancient ancient uh, Hebrew culture. Yeah, ancient Near um, East culture. And Trish says that Frank Herbert pulled from many religions. Oh yeah, it's this. very very obvious that he's doing that. Yeah, and um, I think he's definitely putting a. Uh, he's talking about how we use religion and politics to manipulate people, and how we use it, and how dangerous is it? Right. How what what are the dangers when we use some of these things in tandem right and but he uh, dare i say he's also saying that there there is some value in them as well because um he he's talking about it it, it was it was something that i thought a lot about when the they were still talking about the b'nai jesuit a lot Mm -hmm. um in the beginning of of the book where um they're saying, you know, like the, the Reverend mother is like, he might, he might be this, uh, the savior, the savior. He may be that thing, but that thing is something that we've just been teaching these people to like be able to manipulate and control them. But like, 
here Paul is becoming this something else fictional thing uh as far as everybody else knows yeah he's becoming the actual embodiment of this big spiritual messiah character and i can only imagine like uh kinds and uh the Bene jesuit and jessica all watching this happen and being like oh shoot this is real like right wait it's actually happening wait wait hold on hold on you know and so there's this there's this cool play between like uh science and religion which is like something i'm i we've we've talked about it a lot we care deeply about right yeah spirituality and how spirituality and science and the mix together and i think i'll end with this which is really funny as we move into the next chapter the next quote the next chapter talks about um how prophecy works Mm -hmm. and how did muhadib use prophecy was it always prophecy or did he make certain things happen on certain lines when he saw availabilities yeah. And as we the stories of this Lazan Al Gaib, the voice from the outer world, what would he do? Is Paul fulfilling that? Or is he just playing into the system that he sees weaknesses and paths, which also happen to be that? Is he making prophecy happen or is the prophecy foretelling him? We won't know. Or or it's both. Both and maybe it's both. And with that, we'll uh, we'll leave you for the day. Thank you for reading Doom with us. Um, it's always a pleasure. Remember to stay spicy. Oh, oh yeah. Make sure you send us your favorite moments yes. in um, Dune. Do that. Take a video of yourself. Send us an audio recording. Email us at readingdune at gmail.com. We will put it on the show. That would be awesome. Hit us up on Twitter. And always remember to please stay spicy. Stay spicy, everyone. Peace.